in this country, which is majority white, they're telling people whose skin color is different that they need to be treated different. So now as a person who wears a turban, I'm being told I got to be treated different for whatever reason. Do you feel what I'm saying? And because it makes somebody feel nervous for whatever reason. You know, it's like if, if a young black man's walking down the street and a woman feels nervous because she thinks she's going to get robbed or something, does that mean he has to adjust himself? Does that mean he has to wear different clothes? Does that mean he has to cater himself to make them comfortable? Welcome to the Father State. I am Jesse Lee Peterson. The Father State is on Patreon. So click the Patreon link in the description to support our work. I have with me Humble the Poet. He is a Toronto-born MC and spoken word artist. Thank you for coming on, Humble. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, sir. Um, so I read that you were born in Canada to uh, seek Immigrants, right? Correct. To Punjabi. Yeah, so Punjabi is the language. Oh, I see. Yeah, so, so India is broken up by states, and every state has a different language. So the state of Punjab, everyone speaks Punjabi. The state of Gujarat, everyone speaks Gujarati. So that's kind of the unique way that India is broken up. Every state's a different language. So I'm Punjabi, so that's a northern state in India. Uh, and actually, a bigger part of Punjab, when India and Pakistan broke up, went to Pakistan. So I have heritages in that part of the world. And then my family moved to Canada in the 70s. And so Sikh immigrants, yes. pair, is that, is, is that like a religion? Yeah, well, it's commonly, it's popularly understood as a religion. It's more of a way of life, kind of like, you know, uh, Buddhist philosophy. Um, so we pronounce it Sikh. Sikh means student. So it's, it's the way of a student. Um, and, you know, uh, being a student of life, student of truth. And do they believe in God? Does that religion believe in God? Um, simple answer, yes. Um, you know, the first the first word in, in all the, the hymns and scriptures is Ikon God, which means everything is one. So, you know, it's uh, everything is God and God is everything. So are you into the Sikh religion? Yeah, so you know, my, my mother raised it, raised me um, in the faith, and then as I got a little bit older and got a little bit better understanding, I understood that it's more of a heritage, it's more of a way of life. It's not really a uh, kind of a organized religion uh, as much. And, you know, I think things naturally become a lot more organized, but as I said, it's a lot more uh, non-structured way of life, the way you conduct yourself, uh, and it doesn't require you to you know sign up for anything or, or join you know join any team or. Uh, be a part of any institutions or anything like that. So do they have a church where they gather together? There, there's various, you know, now there are various temples around the world um, um, where, you know, for the, for the sake of community and congregation, that happens. Um, you know, I, th- I think, you know, Sikhi as a, as a community and population is, uh, I think, the fifth largest in the world. You know, there's currently more Sikhs in the world than Jewish people. Uh, so it's a big, but we're spread out everywhere around the world now. Do they require that you be born again? Like the Christians, in, in the Christian religion, you must be born again. Do they require that in the Sikh religion? I mean, it depends who you ask. Um, you know, I, I feel like from the education that I've received, uh, traveling the world and, and meeting various people 
from philosophers to art collectors to historians. Um, I don't think so. I think, you know, all it really requires you to have is, is an open mind and open heart towards uh, pursuing the truth. And um, even in the Sikhi scriptures, uh, a lot of the writers weren't Sikh themselves. They came from different parts of India, uh, were part of different faiths. And it's more so about, you know, none of this is accomplished through following rules of a religion. It's through, you know, uh, love and service. And that love and service isn't something that you can kind of measure on the outside. I think sometimes when we think about different religions, faiths, lifestyles, it's very, we kind of do it for show for other people to kind of see. But, you know, the truth is the purity of our heart or, you know, how genuine we are with our actions is something on the inside that people can't see. And it's really between us and our relationship with everything else. Amazing. And so do you have love? I I work hard to discover the love that's all around me. <laughs> you know, I kind of look at love as, you know, is, existence is constantly raining love. But if my bucket is upside down, I'm not catching any of it. So I'm, I'm working really hard to turn my bucket over. Do you have anger? Yes. And what caused you to become angry? I mean, probably when the life, ins- you know, when the expectations inside my head don't match the picture in front of me in life. And I think, you know, the need for control, like all all of us have, uh, leads to anger and frustration. Um, When the reality is you can't change the picture in front of you, you can change the picture in your head. So when I forget that I need to adjust my expectations instead of trying to adjust the world, I think that leads to frustration and anger. Or when I'm fearful, I think fear, control is the language of fear, you know, whereas surrender is the language of love. So I think whenever I forget that, whenever I get emotional or whenever I'm not taking care of myself, that makes us more emotional. You know, we're more emotional when we don't eat right. We're more emotional when we don't get enough sleep. We're more emotional when we don't take care of ourselves. So in all these situations, you know, that's probably when I'll feel anger. And so um, anger, is it a normal state of being or an abnormal? I think it's normal. I think it's completely, I mean, as the species we are for humans, I feel like most of the emotions we experience are often on the negative side because those motivate action. You know, when you're, when you're happy, you're probably not learning much. You're probably not doing much. Uh, when you're angry, that's enough power to go find your next meal. That's enough power to go get your work done. That's enough power to get stuff happening. <laughs> so, you know, the species that we are, our history, just as humans, you know, we've had to survive for so long. And I think that's required us to have a lot of these heavier emotions um, versus the other ones. So I see their value, but I think the issue is, you know, very often we're not using them the way they were meant to be used. Amazing. And so you, were you closer to your father or mother when you were growing up? Um, definitely my mother, my, my, my father was working. So he was a cab driver. So he was working 12 hour shifts every day. Um, whereas my mother was, was at home taking care of us. So definitely, uh, a, a deeper relationship with my mom. So do you believe that anger, do you believe anger is a normal state of being or abnormal for a man? I think it's a normal state of being. I, I think, you know, it's, 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 we're built in with it and, and it has a useful purpose. But at the same time, you know, it's going to take us away from peace. So we need to be more uh, aware of it. I think no matter what, we always react emotionally. And I think the question is, how long is that emotional reaction going to be? Is it going to be five seconds or is it going to be five days? And the quicker we can adjust our reactions and turn them to responses, the better off we are. Amazing. 
I've noticed that men who have anger act like women. They act like their mothers. And it's like they have taken on their mother's identity. And and so they're up and down emotional, just like a woman. And so when they do, if and when they get married, they date, they're unable to guide their woman out of the hell that she's in because she's living in hell in imagination. Imagination is angry. Um, have you noticed that about men? Because it is abnormal for a man to be angry. He has become like his mother, so he thinks that it's normal. Can a man help a woman if he's angry like she is? So, I mean, I, I wouldn't necessarily, uh, you know, make the labels between the genders based off their emotions. I, I honestly believe um, anybody who gets angry for too long is acting like a child more so than, than a specific man or a woman. And I believe that, you know, it really boils down to tools. You know, so when you're a child and you don't even have the vocabulary, you have these temper tantrums. You know, you're at the store, you want a toy, you can't get the toy. You don't have the words to express that. You don't have the tools to breathe through it. So you just fall on the floor, start crying and screaming. And I feel like these these tantrums that we have is because we don't know better ways. And then as we become adults, you know, we make that even worse, whether we consume caffeine, whether we don't sleep enough, whether we do some other stuff. So when I look at it in terms of the men and, and, and the women stuff, definitely, you know, women have you know, they're built different and they might have various hormones and they might experience emotions in a different way than men do. Um, and I definitely think there's, there's an important relationship between the two where, you know, one can serve as chaos and one can serve as a container. But honestly, in, in my personal experience, I've seen it flip both ways. I've, I've seen very calm women who have more tools to handle their emotions and men who just didn't have them for whatever reason growing up. And one, one helps the other. You know, one is the kite, one is the string. Um, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't simplify it as it's always the man that has to do it for the woman, uh, especially in my upbringing, um, and especially just as an adult, the, the various relationships I've witnessed. Well, you do agree that men are supposed to lead women, right? Women are, men are the head of women. And if I mean, they have the same personality that she has, which is anger, how can he lead her out of the hell she's in if he has it too? Well, when we when we do the big five personality uh, assessment, um, women actually generally score higher in agreeableness, and men score lower. Uh, and agreeableness is is you're less likely to be con uh, confrontational. Um, so in that context, it's actually men that can end up being more angry and butt heads more. Um, and then as well as you know us here being in North America, most of the the original people that are from this part of the land, they were they were part of societies that were run by women, not men. Um, and, and in my heritage, too, uh, there's a very simple line that's, that says, you know, it's not about the king. It's about who gave birth to the king. So uh, we're in my heritage. We don't we don't we don't view uh, one uh, superior to the other. Uh, we, we view it as a balance. Uh, and if anything, we, we can view women as superior. And when you say your heritage, you mean the, the, Shia, the Sikhs or the yeah. Punjab? Oh, no, no, the Sikhs. I, I noticed that. I, I noticed that in, in in that culture, the men are very weak and the women rule. No. So, in, in, so again, Punjabi is a language. So it's Punjab, to, to say Punjabi is like to say American, for yeah, example. Yeah, I mean, in the Sikh culture. So, so Sikh heritage. Sikh heritage is we're martial. So, so the men, the men, have, the men are, 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 we're fighters. So we're warriors. Um, I know, but they go out and fight physically. But when they get home, their women beat them up. 
She rules. No, I, I'm, I'm not <laughs> sure what you're talking about. Uh, I, think, I think you're mixing this up with somebody else. What is the uh, Punjabi culture like? What's that like? So, so Punjab, Punj means five, Ab means river. So to be Punjabi is to be from the five rivers. So that's the area in North India with the five rivers. Um, the Punjabi culture, and you can be a Punjabi Christian, you can be a Punjabi Muslim, you can be a Punjabi Hindu. Punjabi is just your language. Um, and then most Punjabis, because they live around these rivers, are farmers. Um, so it's a farmer culture. So, and the interesting thing about being a farmer is kind of like working in oil out here in America. It's it's a it's a very high paying job that doesn't require a lot of education, um, and it's hard labor. And with a lot of hard labor jobs, you know, you work hard, you play hard. So, the Punjabi culture in itself, you know, it it can have some of its challenges, and that's probably where you're going to start seeing some of the challenges in terms of the men and the women, um, where there's abuse of alcohol. Um, whether it's a patriarchy where you can, you, you know, you may have domestic violence and stuff like that. And there's actually sick, sick, sick heritage that came in and came to balance that out and came to say, like, you know, it's kind of like how Christianity can come into to America and kind of balance out, you know, if people are eating too much fast food or people are chasing too much uh, um, possessions or monetary or greed, you know, you, you need a faith or you need a way of life to kind of balance that out. Whether you're a Christian, whether you're a Muslim, whether you're a Protestant, whether you're a Catholic, and it's the same thing over there in Punjab. So Punjab is a part of the world where you got people trying their best with whatever tools they have. And Sikhi is a philosophy that came out of that um, because the history before Sikhi came there, you had a Hindu majority with a Muslim ruler. And the Muslim ruler was just trying to convert everybody. So you had a lot of oppression. And, you know, Sikhi kind of came out of this idea that you got to stand up for yourself. But at the same time, a lot of these rituals and beliefs that people have around religion, you know, they're for show. They're, they're, more show, they're more so to show your neighbor that you're a, you're a pious individual and less so to actually do anything to better yourself as a person. And to better yourself as a person, oftentimes it just requires you to sit down quietly in a room and, and calm the mind. You know, so we, we talk about five different things that take you from your peace, your anger, your lust, your greed, attachment, and your ego. These are five things that we're all built with. But it sounds like you don't believe, it sounds as though you don't believe that you can have perfect peace. The, the way I look at it is, you know, peace is a is a state that you work towards. I don't I don't believe in this heavily ha- happily ever after, and I don't believe in eternal peace in this context. I, I look at it as, you know, it, it's kind of like you know, if you grow up in a rough neighborhood, everything you need to do to survive in that neighborhood becomes a tool that helps you, and then you grow up and let's say you start working at an office job, all those things that helped you in the street. Or all of those things that made you, you know, you had to have a certain level of aggression. You had to carry yourself a certain way. Now they work against you, you know, because now you're in a different environment. So I look at it the same way. Sometimes your anger is your best friend. Sometimes it's your worst enemy. Sometimes your ego is your best friend. Sometimes it's your worst enemy. And I think the salvation comes in the awareness. The salvation doesn't come in conquering any of this. It comes in being aware of it. So if I'm driving and somebody cuts me off and I get really upset, being aware that I'm upset and then having options to deal with that. Do I smash on my horn? Do I roll down my window and give them the middle finger? Do I chase them down? Or do I hold my breath for five seconds? Or do I think about a family member and start focusing on gratitude? It's the choices that we make. We always have control over our effort and our choices. And I think that journey is what's important. At some point when you want to overcome all that, because it's hell living that way. We were not created to live that way. We were created to live on earth in peace, perfect peace at all times through all situations and, and uh but would well, the, the irony the would irony you rather of that have statement. perfect peace than to be in and out like that i've just never term? seen it 
I've never seen it. And I think the other interesting thing is everything that we have in life, including the fact that me and you are having this conversation, we're having a conversation over the internet. The internet was invented through war. If we had peace, we wouldn't have the internet. But if they had, uh, if they had peace, there would be no war. But let me ask. Um, so then we wouldn't have had no internet. You don't think so? No. Uh, and most computing, more- even Alan Turing, a lot of the computers were invented for war. But you're more, you're, your best creation come in peace and not in war. The best art comes from peace, not war. I'm not sure about technology and innovation. Do you, um, amazing. Think about the airplane. Like the airplane, you know, they were working on it, but then it, it excelled when, when, when we hit the wars. The internet, you know, the computational power excelled when they needed to do, when they realized that, hey, if I shoot a, if I shoot a missile in Germany, with right. The temperature in the air, it goes one way. But when I shoot that same one in Morocco or I shoot that in Somalia because of the, the temperature in the air is different. So now I have to make stronger computers to, to be able to equate this. You know, when Russia launched Sputnik, which was their satellite, America got scared and it, and because it was a Cold War. And then they funded these universities and these universities to speak to each other through computers eventually invented the Internet. So I think that's the beauty of creation is, you know, we can't just simplify it as good or bad. Because sometimes these things that we consider our enemies end up creating some of the most important innovations for the future. Amazing. It's like when you solve one problem, you create another one. And that's kind of this existence that we have. Are you, so do you believe that you, do you believe you are your ego? I believe, yeah. You, I believe my ego is, is what makes me feel separate from everything else in creation. And where did you get your ego from? That's a great question. I, I think it's a, I think it's a natural phenomenon that we're born with because it serves the purpose for our survival. And so, where would it have come from when you were born if you claim that it's your own? When I did- mean, I'm, I mean, I don't have to take ownership over the ego for it to exist. You know, I don't have to take ownership over my nose for it to exist. It, it exists, and um, I also feel like if I, if the answer is I don't know, that doesn't mean I get to fill in the blank with with an answer that was written in an old scripture. So I think, you know, the need to identify separately, you know, I think over time has really kind of come from our need to survive. And I feel like that's where a lot of our uh, a lack of peace comes from, because also the way that you and I are living now isn't very common compared to people who lived in small communities for 10,000 years. So a lot of the, the skills that we have etched in our DNA are really useful for small communities, but they're not useful for living in these big cities. That's why we care about what people think about us. And that's why we're worried about self-esteem and all that <laughs> stuff. Are you happy with your ego? Are you happy having that? Um, I mean, I don't, I, I try not to have an opinion on it because it's not something I can control in, in that context. It's, I have, it's like being, saying, are you happy with your nose? You know, I have it and I, I have to find out where it's beneficial and I have to find out where it gets in the way. And I think in that same context, it's the ego. You know, I view the ego as like that membrane that keeps me separate from the rest of the ocean. And, you know, we have these moments where the ego melts. You know, you fall in love for the first time. All of a sudden, there's no you and that other person. You guys become one. And I think there's a lot of these moments. And people sometimes get that through meditation. People definitely achieve it through taking various plant medicines. And I think having these these unique experiences um, is what's worth exploring, but also at the same time realizing that when I when I view me separate from you, that creates a lot of tension and chaos. You know, when I see someone on the street and I think they're different from me, you know, that creates a lot of tension and chaos. I'm trying to be aware of that. When so you don't believe that it's possible to have peace because you have not seen it. 
I've never met somebody at complete peace all the time in my entire life. I hear stories about people, but I mean, I know I, I hear story. I, I hear stories about people that I know that aren't true. So you tell me there was this individual who's completely perfect and without ego, or who's, who's completely at peace. You know, at at the bare minimum, I got I got to see it to believe it. So you need to see it before you can believe it. I mean, for me to to adjust my entire life in in, in that pursuit, definitely. What's the purpose of? I noticed in the, I was going through your videos, prepare for the show. And I noticed that you always have the turban thing on. And what's the purpose of that? Why do you do that? It's, it's, you know, it's like asking somebody why they wear a necktie when they go to work. You know, this, this is what my people look like. And we're, we're a martial people. So we have a history of fighting war. And the turban served a purpose in that. The turban serves a purpose in identity. Over time, you know, um, Punjab, both Punjabis and Sikhs in general are a minority in India. The Sikhs represent only 2% of all of India. So even in my quote unquote homeland, I'm a minority. I came over here to North America. I'm a minority. And back in India, you know, our people were went through a lot of persecution. So at one point, um, the the leaders and the kings of the time would put a bounty on our head. So they pretty much said, you kill somebody who's wearing a turban, we'll pay you. Um, which for more reason is something we're celebrating now in terms of standing upright. Um, so this is how men look like in my heritage and yeah. my culture. Was that influenced by the Allah U Abba people? Because when I see turbans, when I see these women in these covered up things here in America or anywhere, and I see the men in the turban and all that, it made me think about Allah U Abba. You're, you're thinking about Muslim people. So, yeah. Yeah, no, so you, you, you got to look at, you, instead of looking at a turban as a religious thing, look at it as a, a cultural thing. So that part oh, of the okay. world, the Middle East, India, Afghanistan, you know, turbans in general, people wore them because they kept them cool. That was, that was that was kind of a way to keep cool in that those part of the world, you know. And so it's, it's a heritage thing. That's why I say, like, think about it like a necktie, okay. you know. In, in North America, you wear a piece of silk around your neck, and that means you're being professional. Even though there's nothing professional about a piece of a silk is worm poo. <laughs> yeah. Do you feel what I'm saying? Yeah. So it, it's not, a, but at the same time, there's a spiritual connotation around it as well. So the turban, yeah, you're going to see people all the way from, uh, Africa wearing turbans, you know, people in Ethiopia wearing turbans, you know, all the way to India. It's a cultural thing. And then my people just continued it, especially when they got into warfare and it, and it served as a helmet. So when they get on the airplane, can they take the tie off? Because it made me nervous. Well, if, if it makes you nervous, that, that's, that's your problem. That's not theirs. But I'm thinking, you know what I'm thinking, right? Along the flight somewhere, they may decide to yeah, go under I'm, that. I'm thinking, you, I'm thinking you're watching too much CNN. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> not, listen, man. Listen, you're a black man, and you got to think about the treatment that black men have are receiving in this country. And then the question is, do you need to adjust for white people who are nervous around you, or do they need to adjust for you? I don't you know, know what you if mean. They don't want, you know, 60 years ago, you had to use different bathrooms and drink from different water fountains. Um, you know, you have to sit in a different part of the bus, you know, um, it, it, you know, if we think of, um, you know, specific individuals that, you know, they were killed for having interracial marriages and interracial uh, relationships, you know, Malcolm X's father had his hands tied behind his back and he had his head put on a railroad and he was decapitated. And then the police ruled it a suicide, even though his arms were tied behind his back, you know, in a hundred years I don't know ago, how that was, relates to the turban thing, though. Well, how, same, well, that has nothing well, to do. How one thing has to do with another. Well, it's the same thing where you're persecuted for, for not being the mainstream, right? 
So in this country, which is majority white, they're telling people whose skin color is different that they need to be treated different. So now as a person who wears a turban, I'm being told I got to be treated different for whatever reason. Do you feel what I'm saying? And because it makes somebody feel nervous for whatever reason. You know, it's like if, if a young black man's walking down the street and a woman feels nervous because she thinks she's going to get robbed or something, does that mean he has to adjust himself? Does that mean he has to wear different clothes? Does that mean he has to cater himself to make them comfortable? But he should I think at that's, least that's under- how I see the similarity. He should at least understand it when you're walking down the road and and white person is in front of you and she holds a purse because the blacks are known for doing that, for stealing. It's a thing in the black uh, culture to snatch the white woman's purse. Or, or, or that's the narrative that's been told. No, it's a fact. So, you know, here, here's, here's a Even Jesse Jackson example. said when he's walking down the road and he hear footsteps behind him and he look around and he see that it's something like, I don't have exactly, that it's not black, but it's white. He feel better because he knows if what would happen if it was a bunch of black. So in the black culture, they know that not all, not all, not all, not all, but most black people are angry and out of control, and they've been taught to attack the whites, to react to the cops. From generation to generation, they've been told that, and so they're out of control. That's why if the white woman should hold her purse, it's not personal. I mean, that, that, that sounds like a lot of, you know, that sounds like a lot of storytelling that, you know, is probably not as accurate as you think. And I mean, no, you but know, what you're saying is a storytelling that all that stuff is made up in order to rule over white people. It's not true because blacks don't want to do for themselves now. They want affirmative action. They want reparation. They beg, they blame, they whine, and they don't want to be responsible. So they're making up these stirs. I mean, how does somebody take responsibility for, you know, for, for building a country for 300 years for free? What, what do you, you mean know, by that? I, I, you know, this country was built on free labor. That's not true. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for you to expand on how that's not true. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm really interested in hearing that. Those are made up lies by uh, uh, people who want fake power and wealth, the so-called civil rights leaders, the preachers, the liberal politicians, and now some of the conservative politicians, the media, they are using blacks, so they make up all kinds of stories. And if you're angry, you tend to believe the lie. And once you believe the lie, it's hard to know the truth. Which I think is an interesting idea, because if, if, you know, for example, when I share that story, you said that's made up. But then, you know, when you talk about feeling nervous at the airport, if you see a guy like me, you know, I can easily say those stories are made up as well. No, I, I saw the plane coming down, buddy. That was real. Have you ever Googled a picture of the guys who did it? I didn't Google I saw it on TV. I know. I'm talking about but Google a picture of the guys that they said did it, right? Right. They were all Uba people. Yeah, but tell, them, tell me if any of them look like me. Yeah. None of them look like me. Yes, they did. The, the the guys who they said did this? Yeah, they had the turban, the long beard. No, they're all, not, no, they're all clean shaven. No, they have beards. I, I can't, it's been a while now. I'll recheck that. Oh, you, but, you got producers. I'm sure you got somebody, a producer watching yeah. right now. They can Google the, the 9-11 hijackers. Right. And I, and I can and I can put all, all my life savings on the fact that none of them look like me. But I do want, and I'll recheck that because it has been a long time. I do want to tell you, though, all that stuff about what the white people did to the blacks um, are all made up. 
They're well, a little the, true. They took well, a little truth. Here's the thing, though. When, they took a little truth and made it into a big lie in order to control the blacks, control Listen, the people. I, I, I'm, I'm never going to deny the idea that stories can be told to control people. But yeah. I think that the moment we start saying this story is a lie and this story is the truth, I mean, then all of a sudden it gets challenging because it's like, how come, how come, how do you get to decide what's true and what's not? Because I grew up in Alabama. I grew up under the Jim Crow law. I remember the for colors only signs, for whites only signs. I went to a movie once down in Eufaula, Alabama, and uh, we the blacks had to sit in the balcony while the white folks sit downstairs. And was that? A, and you thought that was that was fair treatment? Yeah, it was fun. We had no problem with it. It's just that the the race hustlers have made it a big deal because they want money and power. And so the best way to get money and power is to deceive the people and make them need you, make them think that you're trying to set them free when you're really putting them into slavery. Understood. So when I was growing up, black people were very independent. They bought land. They understood that the battle was a spiritual battle. They were not begging and blaming and wanting reparations affirmative action. They did for themselves. They educated themselves. That's gone now because of the civil rights movement, which should have never happened. One of the worst things that ever happened to the blacks were the civil rights movement. They have never recovered from that. So, so what I hear you saying is, you know, during Jim Crow, where, the, where there was segregation, um, because you grew up in it, you, A, you said you didn't really see there, much, there being an issue with, you know, the separation of it. But B, you also said the conditions of that separation actually empowered black people, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and that's based off your personal experience, correct? It, it was based off reality, too, because yeah, that's what was going on. Blacks were not messed up the way they are today, and they are blaming it on whites. And white people over the last 60 years or so have given them everything they begged for, and they lowered the standards for the blacks. They let them into school without having to earn it. They, they let the blacks teach their children critical race theory and all that mess, and the blacks are still not happy. What the? You notice that they're getting worse instead of better, the blacks, right? Well, I, I think the, the, the more important question is, and I think we'll both agree on this, is no, no race of people or group of people are monolithic. So what happens is, you know, when we say they're not happy, you know, we're not speaking to every single person in that community. We're speaking to people who claim to represent them. Well, that, we talk about most of them. Not all, not all. One or two of the blacks are making it through nowadays, but it's very rare. I, I and I and I understand your perspective, and and I've heard that perspective, you know, said before. I think Candace Owens holds that perspective as well, and 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 it's definitely an interesting one. And again, I wasn't alive during that time to see that. However, I think what I do realize, because I was an elementary school teacher before a lot of this too, is you start to realize that you know, equality is treating everybody the same. Equity is treating people where they need to get treated. You know, equality is giving everybody the same shoe, whether it fits their feet or not. Equity is actually taking the time to figure out everybody's shoe size and figuring that out. And I think the interesting thing is, especially here, is, you know, being, being a minority everywhere where I come from, you know, you see that you see the treatments being different. And at the, at the same time, recognizing, you know, in a country, and again, I'm Canadian. So I just moved to, I just moved to LA four four months ago. So, you know, my, I'm also an immigrant in this country and having a unique experience to be able to kind of watch the dynamics of how things are treated. And, you know, speaking to people who are going through rough times and then being like, okay, well, you know, for example, you know, your, the ability for you to throw this show and have this show on for as long as you've had it doesn't simply depend on your hard work. It also depends on the fact that you live in a part of the world 
that's not on, under threat of war. You know, somebody can't have a successful podcast in the Ukraine right now or in Palestine right now because there's other factors that are getting in the way. They might not have access to, you know, electricity or what have you. And I think this is the important thing for us to realize is it always depends on how far you look back when you look at where people are in their situation. And well, that's I think not me, it, though. I noticed that when I went to uh, uh, when I went over there to Israel, I noticed that the Palestinians were acting just like the blacks. They were... Uh, begging for the land, and the Jews would give them the land, but they wouldn't take care of the land. They would turn the land into a ghetto, and then they would be right across the road observing the Jews yeah, but, but having nice land. communities and painting their homes and cleaning their yard, little simple things people could do in their life to make life better for them. And the Palestinians, as the blacks are here, they wouldn't do it. They was, they want more land, but then they wouldn't do anything with the land. So... Uh, it's because of their anger, their their hatred of their fellow man that they're able to move forward. And instead of admitting that and overcoming, they blame others for their problems. I, I feel like it's more of a situation of, you know, we all, we all have tools to make better choices and better decisions. And if you go over, you know, if, if my father didn't give me the tools, you know, my father knew what he knew. He was able to teach me something then I had to learn more and teach it down. You know, and if you take groups of people and, you know, the first thing you do is you take away their language, you take away their culture, you take away who they are. And, and there's, a, there's a history of this, not just with black people, not just with Palestinian people. We can talk about the original people in North America, too. See, all that stuff is made up. That stuff is dumb. I mean, again, white I'm, people I'm, didn't I'm, take away the, the, the uh, land or culture or whatever language from black people. That's dumb. Black listen, people are American. They, they still have it. They just hate the white people and they don't want to accept it. So, so what I'll do is, so, you know, instead of even speaking about the black population, we can talk about, you know, the native population, for example. So the Indians? Have, they're not, well, the native, the, the aboriginals. The only reason Are you talking about them, the Indians? Well, you guys call them Indians because Christopher <laughs> Columbus was looking for India and he didn't find it. But they're not Indians because they're not from India. So talking, the Native Americans, the aboriginal people, the first people here. And they're called residential schools. So the difference between America and Canada is Canada's owning up to their bullshit. America doesn't. But so look Canada, at Canada. They, Canada is a mess. Canada took, they took these kids, they put them in these schools, purposely made them, for, changed their names, and made them purposely forget their language. And now we're finding mass graves of these kids. This, this isn't exclusive to Canada. Okay? So what, what happens is one group of people will screw over another group of people. Enough time will go by. And yeah. then the people who got screwed over, they'll say, no, get over it. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like if, if I step on your back to get to the next level and then you reach out for me to help you up, I'm like, do it yourself. Even though I stepped on your back. And, and that's the situation that happens. Here. That sounds like excuse making. But let I'm me not, ask. Listen, I'm, I'm not making excuses here. I'm, I'm explaining what well, whenever you, whenever you, as you say, live in the past like that, you tend to make excuses. I have to honestly tell you, when I was growing up, my parents or grandparents and others did not make excuses. They never whined. They took care of themselves. They didn't blame anyone. And as a result of that, they did well in life. And they taught us to do well because we became like them. We work hard. We treat everybody the way we like to be treated. We do not hate our fellow man. But I got to ask because of time here, do you, do you know anything about Gandhi? Yeah. And what's your impression of him? Um, you know, he's not my favorite person. He's I, not? You 
No. And, and why not? Um, you know, he, he got popular. Um, he got popular standing up to the British uh, when they were controlling India. And he was trying to do it from a standpoint of uh, nonviolent resistance. Yes. That's what um, I love about him. You know, and I think there's a big going back to storytelling. There's there's a lot of you know really push you know pushing people to do nonviolent resistance when you are facing violent violence. Um, you know, uh, Gandhi also has a history of uh, of viewing black people in a low light um, in some of his writings, especially speaking about liberation of, of black people in South Africa. Uh, he uses very derogatory statements. Um, he was a he was a highly educated individual that went to Oxford University and then kind of branded himself as the simple individual, um, and he did a lot of questionable activities outside of his political stuff. But he had um, a major impact upon the world uh, with the idea of peace over hate, non nonviolent resistance. Yeah, and, and, and my and personal Martin belief King, is Martin those King, in power like pushing that. I, Martin, my personal belief is that. Martin Luther um, King went and, and learned from him. That's how he started yeah. the so-called civil rights movement, a nonviolent resistance. And, and, and as you and and as you said, you know, you, you said you're not a fan of that civil rights movement. As I said, I, I I grew up under you know I grew up under the Malcolm X's of the world. I didn't grow up under the MLKs. I the grew, Malcolm you know, X's, you say? Malcolm X, and then even in India, it's Bugat Singh. But Malcolm I mean, X overcame that. his anger, and he believed that all people should be together and not. Blaming white people anymore. I'm, I'm not talking about blaming that he white had people. Been brainwashed yeah, by no, the, the Muslims. We're talking specifically about Gandhi and this and this specific idea of, of nonviolent resistance. And at the same time, you know, if somebody comes into your home right now and, and puts your family in danger, you're not going to rely on nonviolence to protect That's, your family. Uh, protecting yourself, you have the right to do yeah. that. It's the same. Well, so if, if an oppressive government comes to take over your country, which the British did to India, or which which you know many Europeans did to Africa. You know, the question is, should they be nonviolent? Yes. Well, that, so then there's a. Because nonviolence work better than violence. Would nonviolence work if somebody's still Only people on an ego trip think that violence work. People who have anger think that anger is good. They don't realize that anger is evil. And you're not winning when you operate that way. You're losing in life when you have anger. I understand if we view violence as the only option. And I'm not saying violence is the only option. I'm saying violence is a reaction to violence. As I said, if somebody broke into your home, you know, violence may well, have to uh, be the evidence. Protection. You have the right to defend yeah. yourself. It's the same thing about protecting your country. No. No? Uh-uh. There's a but difference between your ask, home and your country. But about me, you, you live in Canada. What was your impression of the truckers there in Canada fighting for uh, peace over there in a nonviolent way. What were your impression of them? So, so my overall impression is I always want to stand with people who get together for whatever they believe in. When people, when, when enough people care about something and they get together and they believe in something, um, I always encourage them to do whatever they think they need to do. Um, I think the, the specific trucker situation was unique because, um, the challenge now is, and we see it on every side of every debate of every protest, is the moment a group of people get together and do something, whoever, whatever politicians are not in power, usually support them. You know, so when, when Trump was in power, and then we had the George Floyd situation, and then you know Black Lives Matter hit the streets, then what all a mess, the people, huh? 
all, all the all the politicians that 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 were against Trump would support the Black Lives Matter movement. Yeah. And it was the same thing when it came to the truckers. So whoever wasn't in power in Canada, whoever was <laughs> and then also even conservatives in America, they would support these truckers. Yeah. Um, you know, just there, there's an irony of it, which is, you know, 90 percent of truckers in Canada were already vaccinated and didn't have an issue with this. And also the dude, the prime minister of the country just won the election in September and he did better than he did previous two years ago. So sometimes when people say they represent the people, the question is, if you represent the people, you know, this dude wouldn't be in power in the first place. Um, and also when we have other civil rights issues or, or, or issues on social justice and people are in issues, a lot of these individuals aren't there. And then unfortunately, the one trucker, uh, the leader, that one of the head, head guys, and he had to get kicked out of the group because they found him specific, specifically speaking about my people, because we're truck, we have a lot of truckers in Canada, and he was using a lot of racist sentiments and saying how they came, how how my people have come to steal their jobs, um, and then once that news came out, they had, the the truckers convoy had to kick him out. So I feel like the challenge now is when any group of people, it doesn't matter what what you believe in, when you guys get together, and and, and fight for something, I think it's always the most beautiful thing in humanity. The challenge is now there's always a politician or always a billionaire or always somebody who cares about profit and power. Yep. And they, what they start to do is empower these groups of people and almost treat them like puppets. And I feel like no matter what the debate is, no matter when I always feel like when people think when people take sides on an issue that hard, they're not realizing that it's actually divide and conquer. Yeah. And I, I think I the only the only immunity to this is unity. The people, all people need to be together and we need to stop cheering for our favorite politician or stop cheering for our favorite billionaire and realize that we're all in this together. It's completely possible for a government to only care about its economy and not its people and a pharmaceutical company to only care about its profits and not the people and a politician to pretend he cares about freedom, but he just cares about getting power. It's possible for all the leaders on these, on each side of the debate to be in it for themselves. And they're just using the people. Yeah. There's no love. And I think that's an important thing where it doesn't matter, you know, where you're from. Everybody has anxiety about tomorrow. Everybody has regrets about yesterday. Everybody wants their family to be in a good place. It don't matter who you voted for. It don't matter what your political. Let me ask are. you this. So were you surprised when in America they allowed that radical evil group, Black Lives Matter, a bunch of fat black radical lesbians to tear down the statues of great men who found it and created the greatest country on this side of heaven, America, and replace it with an un- uh, unemployed drug addict with a criminal record, and they're calling him a hero. Were you surprised when that happened? I, I think, as I said, I, what, what surprises me is when one group of people looks at another group of people and sees them as something different than themselves. But were you, you surprised know, when that happened? As I said, what, what makes me surprised is that people, people don't stand together in these situations. No, but the question um, is, were you surprised when America, a Christian country, allowed a bunch of radical lesbians tear down great statues and monuments of great men who founded and created the greatest country and replace it with an unemployed drug addict with a criminal record? Were you stunned by that? Um, I'm never. I'm never surprised when people stand up for what they believe in, and you know. It's, and I think a really good example too is when the truckers convoy. They 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 went ahead on one of the. There's a statue in Ottawa, the capital of Canada, 
called the fallen soldier. Um, and what they went ahead and did is they went on and desecrated that's that statue. Um, so I think what happens very often is, as I said, the storytelling. You know, but why you, weren't you surprised that America allowed that to happen in America? Because radical not a, blacks. America is 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 a, co- a collection of states. America is not a person. America doesn't get to allow or not allow anything. Um, we could have stopped with the army, with the police, all kind of ways to stop them. I mean, and that could be said for January 6th. That could be said for the Kyle Rittenhouse. There is no comparison in that. And what the, black, from, the insurrection that blacks committed upon this country. I got to ask, I, I noticed in your video you talked about dating. Would you ever date a black woman? Yes. You would? Yeah. Would you date a white woman? Yes. Oh, you'd date all, all races of women? Yeah. You would? Yeah. Oh, can you handle a black woman attitude? Yes. You can? I've dated black women before. <laughs> oh, you have? Yeah. How did it go? Wonderfully. Oh, it did? Yeah. Amazing. So, uh... <laughs> Again, I don't, I don't look at... I, I, people aren't monolithic, you know? I, I know we want to make generalized statements about, like, this is what a black woman is, this is what a, a white woman is, but the truth is, people aren't monolithic. I have met, you know, I, I, I've recently, I've me- recently met a black woman who is three generations, uh, three generations of money. And, you know, it was, it was a very different, unique experience. And what I think... The oh, more she, you, th- oh, you dated her because of the money? No, I didn't know when I met her. Oh, but after I met her, you were glad she had, at least had some money. So no, you have that, to put up with this attitude, Matt. Huh? Not, not at all. I feel like the, the money caused more of an attitude. Oh, it did? And oh. I, think, I, think, I think the interesting thing is, and I think this is the important thing I, I want to bring up, is when we have these cultural wars that we talk about, I think they're, they're really created to distract us from the most important war, which is the class war, the people who have versus the people that don't. And we tell these stories that, well, if you don't have enough, it's, not, it's because you're not working hard enough. And the truth is, no, there's a lot of exploitation on the fact that people who have can get richer, especially in these challenging times. Yeah. And I think that's the important thing. And even when I see a difference in terms of uh, when I get along with somebody or not, it has less to do with the skin color, less to do with their culture, and it often has to do with class. Oh, As I ego. Said, well, and again, I'm 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 doing well in my life, but I'm the son of a cab driver, so I grew up with simple means, and I and I enjoy staying with those simple means, even if I can afford more. And then when you meet people who are used to having more means for a couple of generations, or even being out here in a consumeristic country. You know, this this seems to be a clash, and that has nothing to do with skin color. That just has to do with what yeah. America I tell the blacks that all the time that those so-called black civil rights leaders, liberal whites, and conservative whites, they don't love them. They're using them to get more quote-unquote power and wealth. But I think and, but also the blacks I think, think that the so-called black leaders love them because they always cry racism and things like that. I got. I think it's important to also realize that there is no such thing as liberal and conservative. Each, each and every one of us carries liberal and conservative beliefs, depending on what we're talking about. Well, you know? it's really good versus evil. It's not even that. I got to well, ask. Even, even then, again, the definition of good and evil just depends on what side of the, of the story you're on. And I think that's really important to realize. Because as I said, when I, I think the very simple rule is whenever you think there's a us versus them, somebody is pulling your strings. Do you believe that racism exists? I believe racism completely exists. What's your proof? In statistics. In terms of... But statistics lie. What's your proof that racism exists? Well, if you say statistics lie, then you can't believe anything anybody says, and then there's no conversation to have, right? And you shouldn't believe what people say. You let it go in one ear and out the other, and then you'll know for yourself. 
What here proves that racism exists? As I said, there's just statistical and it's just historical, but I can't make you believe things you don't want to believe, right? I'm not here. I'm not a part of that debate to force people to believe what they don't want to believe. I think a lot of people, uh, all they depend on is their own personal experiences. And the problem is none of us live in a, a big enough world to, to, to know everybody's unique experience. So, you so I have to rely on statistics. You believe it because somebody else said it? No, I, I believe in the numbers. I believe in... I believe well, in, they can lie on the numbers too. Well, they can. everybody can lie on everything. So do you believe blacks and the so-called colored people are racist toward white people? I believe that's completely possible. So you believe, do you believe it exists? I believe for, for racism to truly exist, you have to be in a position of power. So the, do the you issue believe is, that I can't, the people I, of color are racist toward white people? I'm, I believe they can be if they're in do a position of power. Do you believe that they are or not? I, you can't simplify the question that way. Why not? Because racism requires, you know, racism requires a level of power. Obama had power when he was president, right? Completely. And he clearly hated white people. Is that racism? I mean, again, that's your opinion that he clearly hated white people. You, you didn't I'm not, see that? I'm not sure a man whose who's mother's white could hate white people. Well, I don't think he liked his mama that much. He never talked about her. I mean, just because he doesn't, you <laughs> he know. He identified with the black side. When he was president, so, yeah. he may be going back over to the white side. Now he's living in Hawaii or has a home there or something. You're mixing up coincidence with causality. You know, like, let's, you know, if you wore, if you wore yellow socks every day for a year and you didn't get sick, that doesn't mean the yellow socks protected you from getting sick. That's just two individual points that happen. Amazing. Him not talking about his mom doesn't mean he hates his mom. Are you a racist? Me? I'm not racist. You're not racist? What made you not racist? Um, I, as an artist... I, I focus on people's archetype a lot more than their skin color, number one. Um, in terms of I'm not in a very position of power to be able to assert influence on anybody, let alone people of different races. Um, I think those are the two key things on that standpoint. So you don't um, influence I, with your art? Through my art, do I influence? Yeah, but I mean, that's so not So you are power. in a position of power to influence. Well, asserting my power, asserting the power. So, for example, if I owned a restaurant, and a black man walked in. And I'm like, you, you're, 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 you're not welcome in my restaurant. That's racism. I'm asserting my power to, to refuse service on him. That's not it's racism. You have color. the right to decide who you, have you the want right. in no, your I'm not, I'm not in arguing the right. Business, I'm saying that doesn't racist, make you racist. I'm not, listen, I'm not arguing the right to refuse service. I'm saying refusing service based on race is still racism. And this country that? allows for racism. But that doesn't make it not racist. I, that's not true. I want to tell you because I'm about to run out here. Um... There's no such thing as racism, sexism, homophobism, Islamophobism, Allahu Akbarism, dead be dad, dead be dadism, white supremacism, or antisemitism is either right or wrong, good or evil. It's not racism. I, I don't think we ever get to God, simplify life as right or wrong. I think I, I think mean, life's a lot more complicated than that. Life is very simple if you didn't have hatred in your heart. Life is simple if you if, if you've been able to successfully avoid all the things that you're talking about and and I mean I guess you're if you overcome that. the anger you will avoid it you won't be it won't be a part of you it won't be in you it'll be around you out there but you will be moved by it. but you must overcome anger well I think that's a, I, I think that's that a really good I think you brought up a really good point as you said you wouldn't be moved by it but that doesn't mean it's not there it wouldn't be a part of your world. Well, you didn't ask me, is racism part of my world? You asked me if I thought it existed. Well, I'm going to tell you, it doesn't. Um, well, so real fast, you were a third grade teacher at one time. What made yeah. you switch? What made you give um, it up? 
I feel like my as, as I got deeper into the world of art, you know, it, I realized that this was was much more of a natural obsession. It was something that I wanted to do more. And I spent more time doing it. And I think, you know, each and every one of us has true obsessions and true passions. And one way to realize it is when you spend so much time working on it, you don't even realize time goes by. Yeah. So every, you know, when I was a teacher, it was, you know, it was work and it was challenging. But whenever I was creating art, five hours would go by, I didn't even notice until I realized I should honor that. I got to, I got to heat this up, this interview up. And so I got to put you in the hot seat. Let's do it. Uh, and I ask that you answer these questions as quickly as possible. All right. All right. The hot seat. What is a man? What do you mean? <laughs> a, a man is a, a biological male. What is, um, what is love? Love is service. Do you love the Great White Hope? I don't know what that is. Well, let me introduce you to the Great White Hope. Basically, all I've done is keep my promise. The Great White Hope, Donald Trump. Do you love him? Do I love Donald Trump? No, I, I mean, I don't know him. I've never met him, but uh, I haven't seen much about him uh, worth loving. So you have to know him to love him? Um, knowing him would help me love him. Really? Mm. So you don't love all people? I'm not, I, you know, I, I want to, I want to create pathways of love with as many people as possible, but I don't know everybody. And I think it's easier to create with some than others. So do you love all people? I would like to love all people, but I don't know all people. Do you love all people? As I said, I don't know all people. How could I love all people? Were women created to lead or to follow? I think that's their decision. No, the question is, were they created to lead? Yeah, I, or I understand follow? you have your this or that, you know, and it's, it's and those questions aren't generally fair. Are you an alpha male or beta male? I'm probably an alpha male. <laughs> is it ever okay to tell a woman she's fat? I mean, if she asks. <laughs> is CNN fake news? I think everything outside of The Economist is fake news. Do you support social media censorship? No. Do you love white people? Again, I don't know all white people. <laughs> do you smoke pot? I do. Amazing. Do you support Jester Trudeau? Um... I haven't voted for him. Globalism or nationalism? Something in between. Is sex love? Sex can be a language of love. Did you have fun? I did have fun. <laughs> Thank you for coming, man. Tell the folks how to get your books and get to your work and what you're doing. Yeah, I got books on Amazon or every bookstore. My book's called Unlearn. And it's just a book about the idea that to gain more, we have to let go of old ideas. And I think for me as a lifelong student, I never want to be married and attached to any idea for too long. I think when that happens, we start to think our ideas are us. And then when people challenge our ideas, we think they're challenging us. So Unlearn uh, promotes the idea that let's continually try to unlearn relearn and learn new things all the time. Did you know that all thoughts are all lies all the time about anything? No such thing as a true thought. 
That's an interesting idea. I've never heard that. All thoughts are all lies all the time. So I want you to give it a try. And whenever you get thoughts, let them pass. And you'll them, see what I, happens. I agree with that. Let them, don't trust everything you think. I don't, believe Don't that. trust anything you think. Don't trust anything you think. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, man, for taking the hot seat. I really do appreciate it. All right. Much love. I appreciate it, man. And I wish you well. You too. All right. Thank you. Thank you all for tuning in. I absolutely appreciate it. Don't forget to like, follow, ring the bell, subscribe, and check out our Patreon page on TV by clicking on the description link to support the work. Let me hear from you. I do appreciate it. Thanks for watching The Father's State. Don't forget to like, follow, subscribe. Support my nonprofit at rebuildingdemand.com and tell everybody and their mama about the show. I didn't know you were in L.A. though. I just moved here. Just moved here. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Well, one day we'll meet in person. Yeah, we'll definitely make it happen. All right. What part, what part of the city are you in? I'm in West Los Angeles. Okay. I'm in, I'm in North Hollywood. I'm not far away then. Yeah. Yeah, okay. we're close. Yeah, nice. All right, buddy. Thank you. All right, man. Bye.